0: Welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound on site's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Colletti, contributing writer at Sound on Site, and I am joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Kate Kolsick, TV editor at Sound on Site. Kate, describe that last sequence as if you are at the end of a game of Clue.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh... Hannibal in the house with the emotions.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Couldn't have asked for anything better. This week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 13, the season finale, Mizumono, written by Steve Lightfoot and Brian Fuller, directed by David Slade. We were planning on doing something, again, uh, a little bit different for This Is Our Design. We had originally planned to have two guests this week. Uh, One of them is running late, so he may or may not pop up at a random interval, at which point we will let you know rather than just inserting his voice, because that would be abrupt. Uh, Our first guest from TV.com returning for a second time is Mr. Noel Kirkpatrick. Welcome back, Noel.
2: Hi, thanks for having me back.
0: All right, so my first question, which is usually for the guests, was originally planned as a two-parter, but I'll just ask Noel the first part. Uh, When Will and Freddie are talking about Freddie's humble beginnings as a writer of cancer articles, he says we're all desperate for a little hope. Uh, Noel, do you think hope is a necessary or dangerous thing for the characters in Hannibal to possess, or is it both?
2: Oh, it's totally both. I mean, it's one of those things where Hannibal has been searching for so long in vain up until meeting Will for someone be friends with, someone for a companion, basically, that understood him, as well as someone to replace his sister, basically. And it's that hope that Will and Abigail would be that for him, and he had all of that taken away from him. So even just within our serial killer, there's glimmers of hope for something, and it all gets ripped away from everyone here, and it's just gut-wrenching. So
0: yeah, it's both. (laughs) All right, so I'll I'll ask Kate the follow-up then. Um, Kate, what do you hope for when you sit down to watch this series? And maybe more specifically, what were you hoping for with this finale?
1: Specifically with this finale, I was hoping for an engaging and interesting episode of television, which is what I'm always looking for from Hannibal or any TV, really. Uh, More specific than that, I I wasn't actively thinking about this but when you pose the question this way i probably there was some bit of me hoping that it could pay off that wonderful opening to the season with that fight scene with with jack and hannibal i wasn't actively concerned about it but on another show i would have been how could they possibly live up to that the energy and vitality of that scene that we got in the in the first episode they would have to cut around it or not show it, or, or how, is, how could this finale live up to the promise of 12 weeks earlier that we started off the season with? So I was just hoping to not be disappointed, I guess. Uh, more than that, I, I, I'm able to go into Hannibal because I do trust the creatives behind it so, so completely with just nothing, just a free, open mind, trying to not be too traumatized. Uh, but I don't actually usually have hopes for Hannibal episodes because I'm not really... Worried I'm going to be disappointed, if that makes sense. I'm just trusting them to to guide me.
0: That makes perfect sense. I, I don't know. Yes, I think I do have complete trust in this team, but they've really challenged that for me several times this season. And one of the ways that they've done that is by ramping up the, I guess, height of the murder tableaus and also the extent to which we are supposed to buy into the transformation that Will is undergoing because it seems like what – is attempting to be done and what is actually being done those don't necessarily have a great relationship a couple times this season and so what I was hoping for was to come away from this finale I suppose having a a definite sense of the events that have happened prior to the episode the events that take place and to have some semblance of what this is gonna look like going forward And, and I think my hopes were absolutely met there's a few things that I want to address on the more, I guess, theoretical level before we get into the appropriate booing and awing that has to happen with epi- this episode at some point. And I wanted to bring up something that, that Kate, you've already sp- responded to. So there's a quote in this episode about punctuation that the Hannibal uses. He says, the punctuation of a sentence gives meaning to every word, every space that precedes it. And in my review uh, for TV Overmind, I talked about this. In relation to how we as people sometimes mistake events to be, um, if you want to use the analogy, full stops rather than commas or semicolons. But you had a really interesting application of this idea of punctuation regarding music. And I was wondering if you could explain that.
1: Sure. Well, for musicians, if people who read music, the, our punctuation is articulation. So uh, for a, a note that is just a, all of the information you have is the note will be one type of sound if there's a dot above it that means there'll be a little space at the end of the notes the the note will end a little earlier than than normal if there's an accent above it you're going to have a little extra pressure at the beginning but not necessarily any change to the length of the note there's a lot of nuance that comes with articulation in in uh in in music and in composition and performance and when i speak with my students what i always tell them is basically articulation is our punctuation. So is this a question? Is it going up? Is it, is there a pause? Is this a period? Is it the end of a statement? What does this mean for the overall idea of a piece? And when you're playing a piece for the first, what I was connecting this to very specifically in my viewing of this finale was that fight sequence that we got at the beginning of the season at the end of the season. I think it's a wonderful scene and I'm sure we'll break it down quite a bit more, but Thinking about it in that specific context, when you read a piece of music for the first time, you you have a very different understanding of what the punctuation or what the articulation means, where it's going, what the important moments are, and all of that. Much like the first time you maybe if you first read a poem. Uh, or or read a paragraph, you have a different understanding of where the pauses should be and where the the key words are than if you go back and read it again. And so when we see the fight scene at the start of the season, it means one thing to us. And when we see it here, it means something very different. Um, Not only because we have the the context around it, but because we also understand these characters so much better and we understand uh, what has led them uh, to To be the kind of people that they are even even more, and even just reading the scene, the slight nuances that are different the first time from the second time, it really informs for me what I take away from that that scene so i can't help thinking about punctuation and immediately going to articulation and going to phrasing and going to what that means for for music, and so for me that 's what I was relating to with that uh, discussion in your review,
0: I think that that's fascinating and I think that the most wonderful way I see this idea of punctuation work um, when looking at that uh, flash forward cold open from the, the season premiere is that when we talk about giving something more meaning when we come back to it, this was a scene that we saw without dialogue the first time around and we know that now there is conversation that happens and so it was more than just getting that again. There were added layers to it, which I, I certainly enjoyed. Uh, Noel, did you want to weigh in on any of the, these ideas of punctuation, or maybe um, how how Bella talks about Hannibal removing her initial punctuation to someplace else?
2: One of the things that helps with just this, the added layers, is also that the fight scene is more of a bracketed instance for us when we first saw it. We didn't see anything else around it. So we talk about context, about how Hannibal and Jack got to this point, but we also just lost the fact that Alana was coming into the house at that point, that she could walk in at any moment and find this fight happening. And I think that adds, as soon as Alana just comes to that door, it just immediately heightens that fight scene to a different level. And then we get the extra context of the fact that (laughs) Abigail's been in the house the entire time. And it's just filling in those blanks where we just had this bracketed glimpse of what was coming for us. And Fuller had teased that the fight was really the least craziest thing that was going to happen in the finale. And he turned out to be totally right. And I think that's where that comes from. It, it served as kind of an elliptical almost in the pilot. And now we get everything else around it.
1: And what I also appreciate about it is that it's so, so frequently that, that, uh, that device comes off as a cheat and doesn't feel honest. And what is great about this is yes, we do have a very different appreciation of what's happening based on the, like you were saying, the context of what's going on with Alana and with uh, Abigail and, with uh with Jack being out of a job basically uh, that but but the emotion and the intensity and the honesty of that f- initial showing you know the in the premiere of that fight is still true everything that we read of their interactions and what it said about you know the physicality of Jack versus the resourcefulness of Hannibal and That is all still true. They are still the same people. We just would never have guessed, or at least I would never have guessed, that Jack was going completely solo to take on Hannibal. That didn't seem like it was a thing that even made sense. So I would have assumed all season that the, the cavalry's coming in, or there's a mountain of evidence, or there's something, because that's what we assume to be the case with Jack. If he's going to move, there's going to be a plan as we hear him in the beginning of this episode. And so then to see how this is not just the action of a man who has been wronged and who understands now who Hannibal is, but also a man who sees this is a desperate last ploy because this man is going to get away and because there's nothing else he can do. It, it maintains the truth of the scene, which is a a very important theme for this episode while also, shading it in a way that makes it feel fresh.
0: So this this format, this structure of punctuation and being able to use this kind of layering to really wonderful effect is just one of the, the several technical things that I think really works in this episode's favor. Uh, and so kind of as an entryway to talk about some of the other things that happen in this episode, maybe on the content level, I wanted to ask you, Noel, if you could break down some of either director David Slade or composer Brian Retzel's contributions to this episode and how they help create some of the emotional responses that we have.
2: I'll do David Slade since I don't want to deprive Kate of any... <laughs> of her expertise when it comes to talking about the uh music
1: there's plenty we we, we can all get in on <laughs> on, on the music <laughs> trust me ah, well
2: if there's one thing th- that i'll say that i'll i've really enjoyed about the music um was just this one little bit where it's after hannibal smells freddy on will And instead of there being a big light bulb moment on Hannibal's face when he realizes that he's been had, there's this quick three note, I guess, three sound cue that basically acts as a light bulb above his head. And it's so good because it provides a perfect emphasis, a perfect exclamation mark to go back to the punctuation idea to that moment in a scene where almost nothing else happens except for them burning Hannibal's patient notes in terms of the direction though um I just keep going back to the last sequence uh the basically the climax of the episode where everything is happening I mean we've we've watched that fight scene now twice on the show so the choreography and the stunt work is just perfect it's really just beautiful and raw and brutal reminding me a lot of like torn t- Hitchcock's torn curtain but then there's just the blocking of things um, particularly in that last little bit where Hannibal is behind Will and just cradles Will's face right before he stabs him in the stomach in just this moment of sadness and regret and anger as well and then he just hugs him so close and it's just it's not even. You'd expect the show to kind of like go in closer to them, but we keep a medium. To, we keep a medium shot of both of them in the frame from the waist up, and then we cut to them, their heads behind each other in a normal hug embrace. And it's just, it's really nice to see how close that they were both in that moment. How and how, and then just watching Hannibal push him away and let him fall, and it just. It's such a breaking of them that it just, it's brutal. It's just brutal. And then there's other little touches. Like I loved Alana's discussion about her dreams and her inability to sleep and feeling like darkness is coming inside of her. And then she's just drowning in this water, which felt like a really nice callback to that kind of inky dark Alana that we had in the first episode when she hypnotized Will or the first or the second episode where she hypnotized Will and she became that inky black water mass that washed over Will and yeah those two instances I think were the two that stood out the most for me from his directorial stuff.
0: Okay and and just following on from that I think for me if we're looking at either direction or scoring that's well the the big sequence that we get at the end i think is about 18 minutes and the the first eight minutes of them are the ones leading up to when alana gets pushed out the window as soon as we come back from that break uh we get whatever song that is that kicks in and goodness like
1: oh we'll talk about that song
0: did yeah. you know what that
1: was yes uh, We'll oh, talk is, about
0: it. <laughs> is this a Brian Retzel composition? Ish. Ish. Okay. Well, okay. whoever had a part in it, whatever decisions were made, the execution of that and how it contributed to my experience of the rest of the episode was just monumental. And yeah. I know we've talked a lot about uh music in Hannibal. Obviously we have a segment on it that we do every single week for this podcast, but it's always kind of omnipresent and sometimes it can fade into the background and i think that this was an instance in which it was it was so necessary for the experience the full experience and I, i can't imagine having a similar reaction in its absence like it was it was probably the single biggest component of that sequence for me and that's considering all of this plot stuff you know like and that's incredible amounts of things. Abigail Hobbs, whatever everybody just dying, the whole bloodbath. The fact that it is set to this tune just made it, it elevated it to a place where I, I really have a difficult time describing it. So, uh, Kate, if you want to talk a little bit about this song and, and your response to it.
1: Oh sure, definitely. Well, before, I mean, just more generally, I for me the MVP of this episode as well as obviously writing directing act yes they, it was all very good but the key component for me and i know i have a biased perspective on this is the score from from Brian Retzel, because it is amazing it is so wonderfully constructed the the ticking clock motif but it's not just a ticking clock motif there's wood blocks supplementing that and it's not just wood block there's also chimes to, to simulate the grandfather clock like we talked about last week there's so much nuance and layering to it where where the clock comes in where it comes out how it is used throughout the the episode and that you know that that, that sound of design of of the entire episode leading to that final segment, all with this beautiful, very, uh, very continuous scoring, um, was incredibly effective. So yeah, I have a lot to say about the music and I'll probably, we'll get to it later in the podcast, most of that stuff. But as for this particular song, it is, it was composed by Brian, uh, but it is a, an augmentation of Bach's Goldberg variation, the aria, so what he basically did is the notion is that each for the, that melody line with of the very simple piano piece, each note is about six times longer. So if it's a quarter note, now it's a dotted whole note. If it's a eighth note, it's a dotted uh, half note. So each each note is six times longer than it would have been in the original. And so it stretches this piece out to be a much longer piece. Um, than it normally is, and so that's why it's familiar. But because yeah. it is so extremely augmented, uh, which is you know the terminology for that in, in counterpoint, it's familiar but not necessarily immediately identifiable. But again, even more than that, it's the choice of orchestration because he takes a piano piece, very simple, uh, at least uh, uh, the the chord structure and everything melodically, a very simple piece on piano, and it orchestrates it for strings, percussion, there's uh, guitar, there's vocals it sounds like, there's there's uh, woodwinds, there's so much in there, and for me it was far more reminiscent of the foray that we'd been hearing the last few episodes, and I went back and listened to the foray the that we get when Hannibal and Will are driving in the car and the foray we get when, uh, when Will presents Randall and it, for me, it ta- the, the orchestration, which means, of course, the, the instrumentation that is used and how it's used, is far more reminiscent of that than of the Goldberg Suite. So we get the, the melody that registers, but not quite enough to fully connect with us as we are in- immediately watching. It's just, it sounds gorgeous to begin with, but then it also ties into all these other elements of Will and Hannibal's relationship. And then, of course, that also just goes with our the history the Goldberg creations have on the show which we'll talk about a little bit more in Kate's Classical Corner. We've talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but this is a very significant piece to not just uh, Hannibal, but also, as I discovered this week, Silence of the Lambs. It's featured prominently in Silence of the Lambs as well. So yeah. that's it's just a wonderful choice, and it's a beautiful... I mean, so technically the melody is from Bach, but it is very, as far as I'm concerned, it's an original composition by Reitzel.
2: No, I'm really glad that you pointed all this out, because it was really, really familiar to me. And I didn't pick it up as being Goldberg. What I kept thinking that it was, is that they had rearranged that um, opera composition that they had done for the Hannibal film, Vita Cornirum and that they had just stretched that out somehow. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like ticking into my head that they had, especially after the um, the vocalizations came in, that it sounded a lot like that. But now that you've said it, all I can hear are the Goldberg Aria notes in my head. Yeah. So, yeah, no, thank you. I, I needed that because it was kind of driving me a little batty.
1: It was driving <laughs> me nuts, too. And that's that's to Twitter because the, that was one of the things that got live tweeted by the various. There was a live tweeting party. Uh, they, they posted some pictures from Brian mm-hmm. Fuller's house. It was pretty adorable. Everybody was in, like, flower bonnets and stuff. Um, and so that was one of the things that got tweeted out by that crew. So then I could go back and listen to it and sort of make those connections. God, does that
2: tweet then. Yeah, like, I was, I was
1: in the same boat as you. I was like, I know that I know this, but what do I know it from? And that's that's where we know it from.
2: Well, now I want that on the soundtrack whenever they put that out.
1: <laughs> certainly, certainly.
0: All right, let's, let's delve into the sequence then because there is just way too much to talk about. Noel, you're going to get my shortest question, which really isn't a question, but just something that you can respond to in any way you would like. And that is Abigail Hobbs.
1: Ah! <laughs> Can I just pr- compliment us for a moment Because this is our first oh my God. And I was expecting All of us to just That was going to be the entire podcast
2: <laughs> <laughs> No um, When Abigail showed up I, I was sitting On my left seat I had my laptop I was doing notes and I was typing No Alana you never run up the stairs In a horror film you're being stupid And then Abigail showed up, and I almost jumped out of my my couch and dropped, almost dropped my laptop on the floor, possibly breaking it, because I was very much OMG, WTF, BBQ. <laughs> I, I was, I had been very firmly in the camp that Abigail was dead, and I just, uh, I just, I could not deal wrap my brain around her still being alive and i still kind of can't wrap my brain around her still being alive i have so many questions mainly if she was in the basement and she's what beverly her. that's my big question so i need abigail to survive long enough to answer that
0: <laughs> i i'm not optimistic about her her chances of being alive i should say i mean no
2: I'm, I'm not either, but this show has decided that unless someone's just really, really dead somehow, they're not dead, which I think is something that we should probably talk about a little bit. But who the hell knows with this show at this point?
0: That, that, okay, that's the thing. Well, let's talk about that a little bit right now before we move on. Um, she was the only body that I saw that was not twitching anymore um the the last shot we get of her whole body she is still moving to some degree um but when we see from will's perspective looking at the dying stag her body is lying there off to the left side and it is not moving at all and granted like the the wound that she has received and the fact that she can't cover it up in the same way that jack can um i'm i'm going to say that of the four she's the one that's definitely dead
1: well she's not I would say she's not definitely dead. I, I I agree. They have to kill someone of these four. They can't have everybody survive because that just wouldn't work. It would it would defang Hannibal too much. So someone's going to have to die. It's not going to be Will and it's not going to be Jack. I don't is think. Is it not going to be Jack? I don't think it's going to be Jack. People keep pointing to Lauren Fishburne having another show. But the thing is, he's committed to Hannibal first with the way that, you know, contracts work. So I'm not worried about that. I don't, I mean, it. I don't think it's going to be Jack. He's got the the piece of glass still in there. He's he didn't take it out. Unlike the stupid people last week, which is <laughs> what you're supposed to do. Um, So, you know, I, I'm not too worried about Jack. I'm more worried about Alana, but I think it'll be an either Abigail or Alana situation. And I'm oh, no. I really don't want Alana to go out with, you know, the little she's gotten this season to do. So I'm basically or- assuming it's probably gonna be Abigail, too, but we don't you know you don't know the main thing for me is this just confirms for me that chilton is not dead
0: oh definitely yeah
2: which makes me sad because i wrote a big post mourning his death and now he's not going to (laughs) be dead i'm gonna have to delete that post or rewrite it entirely
0: i'm sure i'm sure he really appreciated it though okay well i have a question (laughs) i have a question kind of related to this then since we're talking about abigail's well the possibility of abigail's death and and just again yeah exactly in a very similar and unfortunate way um related to i guess hannibal's attitudes toward this so not only does hannibal give will the chance to come clean and give alana the chance to run but he creates an opportunity for will to prevent any harm to come to jack Uh, bella asks him to take care of jack and we've seen at various points throughout the season i would say hannibal's be some version of a friend to jack crawford and i wanted to know if either of you thought and we could begin with kate um does hannibal actually want jack dead or does he want any of these four characters left in and outside of his house dead
1: he doesn't want Alana dead or he wouldn't offer her the chance to be blind that felt very generous from him If I, I believed him, some people may not have but if you do believe him that was generous and that means he doesn't want her dead though he doesn't seem to really care if she does die and I think that's sort of how it is for for everybody there, with the exception of Will. Will is a betrayal. Will is very highly personal. He cares for Will very much and he feels that betrayal to the core of his being. Jack he would rather not kill Jack, but but not to the point where he's gonna run. He had the opportunity to run and he didn't take it. Uh so that that tells you you know as well i think his his affinity for bella and what he he feels like he or the the bond he feels like he has with her cuz of course he had no reason to go visit her he didn't have to visit her so the fact that he chooses to do so before he leaves is significant but his his affinity for her only goes so far so when jack comes to his home that is that unspeakably ugly Rudeness, and and he is does not shy away from confronting Jack. And I do also think it ties in with his this this notion of Jack. I owe Jack the truth. To to I owe Jack the ability to see who I really am. Uh, Noel, what do you think? Well,
2: no, I don't think I don't even think that he wanted Will necessarily dead. I think he thought that there may have been some hope, if Will hadn't shown up. I don't think he would have gone after Will, just because it would have been too risky to go after him. But given the opportunity to excise his anger, as it were, and his sense of betrayal, he obviously was going to take it. But I think... I don't know. I honestly think that if Hannibal had successfully managed to kill and known that he had killed Jack and Alana... A little bit of me thinks that he may have been able to think that he may have been able to talk Will into leaving with him and Abigail. Just on some level, maybe that last little bit of hope that we opened up our discussion with and whether or not he still had that idea that Will could change with him, basically. But on the whole, I don't think that he wanted Alana dead. I don't think that he wanted Jack dead. And I don't even think that Jack coming into Hannibal's home was unspeakably rude. He was invited, after all, for dinner. That's true. So I think it was more so the fact that he, everyone knew, like, Jack Jack knew what Hannibal was up to. Hannibal knew what Jack was up to because of Will's phone call echoing Hannibal calling Garrett Jacob Hobbs in the pilot. And I think it was just, the understanding that their friendship was over and that this was the only alternative that they had at this point because Jack wasn't offering forgiveness. He was wanting justice. So there's no, Oh, Jack, please forgive me for killing all these people and eating them. It was, no, you're going to go to prison for a very long time, my old friend. And I think that's where that comes from with Hannibal is that, Given the opportunity, he wouldn't have killed Jack, if not for Jack's sake, and certainly for Bella's sake, as you alluded to, Kate. So, no, I don't think he wanted anyone here dead, but he just didn't have a choice in the matter, given everything else that had happened, and their choices as well.
1: And I do, actually, I feel very stupid for having said that rude thing now that you point that out. Obviously, he was invited there. And, you know, he he could have gone in and killed Jack in the pantry, he could In the have. Yeah, oh my god, I loved that so much. <laughs> he, but he he could have he could have let Alana go upstairs and and finished Jack before he went to go deal with Alana. But he doesn't. That's a distinct choice. I I do though feel like he didn't have to have Abigail. Well, did he have Abigail push Alana out the window, or did Abigail do that herself? Because, if he had her do that, that was not necessary. That didn't need to happen. He could have just moved on. He could have just left. Yeah. So that is that is a more deliberate note. You die, and he doesn't even does he even look? I don't think he even looks down when he's leaving and she's like bleeding out.
2: No, we just see his feet as he's walking away because he's basking in the rain and that yeah. glorious slow motion raindrops as we watch them drip onto his chiseled cheeks.
1: So so I guess it is that contrast between wanting them dead and really not caring if they die and choosing to let them maybe live. So I would say Jackie chooses to maybe let him live. Alana, he doesn't care. And uh, Will is way more personal.
0: Yeah. It's, It's certainly a lot about choice and choices. And Noel, you mentioned that maybe that there is some hope in him that's, were it not for some of these choices that he might have been able to convince will to come with him. But, and that comes from the the immense amount of pride that Hannibal has as a character. If there is that hope in that kind of um, alternate storyline, then I think of course, then Abigail doesn't need to go. It's just so unfortunate that he has to kill her in this way to punish will, because we know that it's not just will who had a, a deep connection with Abigail. Hannibal did as well, and was very much a parental figure to her. And I think that both her and and Margot Verger occupy some of the same areas of the, the emptiness within him. And so that's, again, unfortunate and just very difficult to watch, Which which leads me to ask, after last season ended with Hannibal getting Will locked up, what kind of response do you think Fuller is going for by letting Hannibal the bad guy, technically, walk away as our other three leads are just there dying.
1: Well, I, I just to quickly, did you guys see that that thing that was going around Tumblr earlier? Um, the, 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 yeah, I think it was last night. I, it was wonderful, and I hadn't made the connection, and I should have, and I felt like an idiot as soon as I, I saw it. It was a series of pictures, screencaps with text, and first we see Hannibal, and it says, I didn't, and then we see Alana oh, okay. falling. Sign up for, and then we see um, Will getting gutted. Fucking, and then uh, uh, Abigail and Will bleeding out. Hamlet. I didn't say up for fucking Hamlet, and that's what this ending is. And it's a one. It's just wonderful tragedy, and the the inevitability of the of it from the the moment from the moment that Hannibal smells Freddy everything else that happens is inevitable and that's what makes it so powerful as much as everybody involved would would love to escape that. But I want to ask quickly to kind of continue with what you were saying, Sean. Uh, So so I think, anyways, so I think, I feel like that's sort of what he was going for. Um, And also just the, I've been saying for a while, I felt like season three had to be Hannibal off on the run or here. He's just sort of on vacation. He doesn't really feel like he's (laughs) on the run. Um, But is Does he kill Abigail as punishment? Because he's saying, I forgive you, will you forgive me? And if he's killing her out of malice and out of uh, anger, that's not forgiveness. So either Hannibal's hypocritical, or he's, and so he's killing her out of anger t- t- towards Will, or he's dispassionate and he doesn't care and he's disconnected and he's killing her to tie up loose ends. And that's why he and they're two completely different readings, and I have no idea which one I think is correct.
0: I I would lean towards the dispassionate killing, I suppose, because I, I think Fuller or somebody that I read this morning, and I read way too much, uh referred to it as a very bad and angry breakup. I don't know if anger has to do so much with it here, but it's it's a mixture of disappointment among other things, and so the idea there was that they could be some kind of family units, and since Will removed himself from that possibility, I think that that also removes Abigail's place within that family too. And so now he sees her in a much different light, and and in that sense, I guess it's dispassionate. What about you, Noel?
2: Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm, I think I'm in agreement with you, Sean, in that it becomes a dispassionate act as soon as that family unit breaks down for him. But I struggle with that idea that it ultimately doesn't mean anything for him, that it's purely dispassionate. I mean, he saw Abigail as a replacement for Miss, Mishka, Mishka, his sister. And it's one of those things where... I almost feel like he kills Abigail in the same way that he's knocking over another teacup in the hope, again, that it comes back together at some point. That this attempt didn't work. That, in fact, the teacup maybe got halfway there and then just started to fall back again. And that he just let it happen again. And I think that might explain how it's both a personal loss, but also a dispassionate act.
0: Does that, that makes sense? W- no, absolutely. I think that that works. Uh, well, Kate, you asked a question that you're unsure about, so I'm going to ask you. Um, I often come up with roadblocks in some of these episodes, I think, and, and I kind of just need help explain this because I don't really understand the, the Will Hannibal exchange. Hannibal asks, do you believe you could change me the way I've changed you? And okay, that that's fine. I think I have a grasp on how Hannibal has changed Will. And then Will says, I already did. And I, I really struggled with that. So I was wondering if, if you or no, whatever, can help me understand that. Oh, come understand on. He, that.
1: he opened up. I mean, yeah, it's it's that's... It's, that, it's right there. I mean, this I, there's many, many things about this finale that I'm sure I have completely wrong <laughs> that I don't understand at all. Uh, but, but for me, that one is right there and its it, it is what makes that scene so powerful and so personal. It's that I showed you myself and you didn't care and you didn't want me. That rejection that we get from Hannibal. that's that is so personal and so full of of, of, of hurt and betrayal and you know all of these really intense emotions. Hannibal doesn't feel stuff usually. Uh, certainly doesn't let anybody in. And uh, and so that's what I took it to me. He opened himself up to Will, and some of Will's, uh, in order to to mess with Will and, in his mind, and to craft him in his image. And just as Will took on elements of Hannibal, some of Will's empathy got in there and mixed that peanut butter with that chocolate.
3: Oh, ugh,
2: I, worst I guess I was, yeah,
0: that that makes <laughs> sense totally. I, I guess I was struggling to to overcome like the superficial aspects of the changes that that Hannibal took Will through. So like. He thought that he had turned Will into some sort of killer, and I I guess I was not thinking about the the interpersonal stuff and things having to do with empathy, but that makes sense.
1: Well, and even could—if Hannibal's influence—this is a half-formed idea. If Hannibal's influence was making Will more violent— and prone to, you know, fantasies of choking people to death, for example, um, or slitting their, their throat and lowering them into a thing of pigs set to gorgeous, lovely, happy Will music. <sighs> then was Hannibal's, through theoretical mercy in this episode, a, a result of Will's influence? So when he offers to let Alana leave, is that because Will's been rubbing off on him?
0: Boom. That That's it for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's the key that I needed. That seems like the, the inverse or the other side of that coin. So, yes, I agree. That's not a half-formed idea. That's a fully formed one.
1: Well, except that I'm going to undermine myself here. And oh, see what you guys I think.
0: thought I just had a grasp on it. Stop.
2: <laughs> no, because, I mean, it's better that Kate undermines herself because I was going to, like, offer a counterpoint to that idea. But go ahead, Kate. Go for it.
1: Oh, well, because he wasn't going to – because he didn't kill Dr. Maurier for so long. So then, you know that maybe that ties in more with his long running thing about his women. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. No, you you chime in.
2: Well, I think I'm in per- total agreement with Kate. Your um your take on the I already I already did that Will offers up, and I mean it hits really hard because I think Hannibal realizes as soon as Will says that that it's true because you get again one of those little micro-cheek twitches from Mads Mickelson when he says that to him. So I think that, yes, Will's empathy has seeped in a little bit. Um, I think that the idea, however, that Will's empathy is what's driving him to not kill Alana or anything like that, I don't necessarily think that that's accurate. I think Hannibal... We, we have to remember why Hannibal kills for the most part it's self-preservation as it is here or it's because someone is rude to him or rude to others and alana is perfectly fine until she attempts to shoot hannibal with the empty gun at that point it's it's
1: it's rude to try to shoot someone (laughs) you were invited for dinner jack was invited to kill me you were not invited to kill me
2: Exactly! This is this is why. But it's also the fact that he has the capacity to at least, if not care about people, to find them interesting. And I think that's why he spares Demore uh, Bedelia. It's why he is willing to spare Alana. And that it's why he's willing to just pack up and leave with Will. Why he gives Will that out, which is just... These are interesting people. These are people that the world is better for and more is richer for having them in. And I don't want to take them out of it if I don't have to. So I think that's where that's coming from. It's not necessarily empathy so much as it is. The world's just a prettier, more interesting place with them in it. And I'm returning back to why he didn't cure, why in the films he doesn't kill Clarice because Clarice is interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, Noel, I believe it was at the beginning of your review, I hope I'm getting this right, where you talk about forgiveness in this episode. Uh, The quote I want to bring up is forgiveness, and this is from Bella. Forgiveness is such a profound conscious and unconscious state of affairs, you can't actually choose to do it. It simply happens to you. Um, How do Hannibal's acts at the end of this episode change Will's capacity to forgive and our capacity actually to forgive as well as audience members if it changes them at all, Noel?
2: Oh, okay, so you're... All right. Um, I feel like Will... I think it gets back to that idea of whether or not we're going to mistake empathy for understanding. Uh, To return to last week's episode where Will, Will and Jack are discussing whether or not Will understands Hannibal or he's empathizing with Hannibal to the point that he's getting lost in all the violence again. And I think that's kind of where... That idea of forgiveness gets a little muddied. I think Will can understand why Hannibal's done what he does in this week's episode. I don't know that he can understand on beyond the criminal profile profiling level why Hannibal behaves the way he does with his serial killing. But his actions here, I think he can understand them. I don't know that he can forgive them, though, because Bella Bella says that forgiveness is a state that just kind of happens. And I don't see Will being able to do that. Will wasn't willing to forgive Hannibal for putting him in jail. I don't think that Will can forgive him for stabbing him in the stomach and then slitting Abigail's throat in front of him.
1: Well, and he doesn't just stab him. He guts him. Yeah. And the continuation of the fish imagery uh, Mm -hmm. that we've had all season. Um, And and I I did watching this episode uh, the first time I, we get to that scene with Bella and I'm like, yay, Gina Torres. Very glad she's back. Very glad the show remembers that, you know, Jack's wife is dying and the actress is awesome. But why is this scene in the episode? and and it is, as it comes back later, that idea of forgiveness, and here's, I guess I disagree with you somewhat, Noel, because I think he understands Hannibal so completely. He's still, I I do think he wants I mean, or as much as any one person can. I do think he's going to do everything in his power, assuming he lives, to catch Hannibal and to see him prosecuted for the full extent of his crimes and, and all of that, but I don't I think he understands Hannibal's logic to the point where he doesn't... He understands why Hannibal had to, to kill them all. And so um, it's just a, a fact of who Hannibal is. And but so that he, doesn't
2: necessarily mean that he's going to forgive him for understanding him.
1: Well, but, I mean, he he... Obviously, I think all these people are so horribly... Damaged, but I, I, I think with Hannibal, it's, it's different than with something. Else. It's why, why would you hold on to fury or, or rage against Hannibal? Because, you know, it seems like usually that's because you don't. I mean, maybe it's just an irrational thing, but because you don't understand or because you're angry at them. But Will knew ahead of time. What was going to happen? He tries to get he warns uh, Hannibal in that wonderful call back to the pilot and and is hoping that he's just gone. He wants he's fine with Hannibal leaving and maybe never being found. Um, so because then ever you know, he because know, he knows that if Hannibal doesn't leave, basically they're probably all gonna die. So I guess yes, forgiveness is I think you can't choose like they say I don't think that Will can choose to forgive Hannibal, but I think because he understands him, that makes that process very different and perhaps easier because Hannibal isn't people, if that makes (laughs) sense. (laughs) Sean, save me.
0: Hannibal is not people. You are correct. Uh, I wanted to talk about that because the second part of that was looking at forgiveness um, as an audience member. And this is something that's really interesting and which I sometimes struggle with. Uh, Brian Fuller, in one of the interviews that I read this morning, talked about a lot of the responses that he's gotten from acquaintances or friends or whatever. Um, when he asks, well, who's your favorite character on this show? And people were with Hannibal. And it's this idea of connecting and being able to give leeway or however you want to call it, forgiveness, to somebody who commits... Certain acts that should be deplorable, and I think I don't even know how I would respond. Maybe like midway through the first season of Hannibal, in terms of can I, as an audience member, forgive Hannibal for the things that he done that he has done? I want to say immediately the answer is no, and certainly by this time the answer has to be no for me personally, and that that group of people who can do that that's that's so foreign and interesting, I, I guess, because maybe a, a good comparison is Heisenberg, not Walter White, but Heisenberg, and that's another character who I, who I think that there's just... From my perspective, there's no way that you can possibly root for this person in the sense that they are some... They are people who you want to see succeed because you believe in them and their redemption or something like that, and so... Um, well, but it, I would
1: separate out forgiveness from condoning, or understanding from condoning. So just because you understand or you forgive Hannibal for his actions, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't, but just because you are at that level with it doesn't mean that you condone his, what he's done and think it's okay, or think that he's going to change, or is somehow an okay person.
0: certainly. Uh, and I agree with that 100%, and, and understanding is a big part of it. I can understand why Walter White or Heisenberg and, and Hannibal Lecter do the things that they do. It makes sense from their perspectives, uh, and yet it's something that I think, at least by this episode, forgiveness is a thing that can no longer be reached for me, if if there ever were that possibility to begin with, I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Okay. Well – Sean, you're bringing up something that I kind of like was attempting to tease out in my review of the finale and connecting back to like a larger idea about season two and the idea of Hannibal being an anti-hero and and I had some pushback in the comments about the idea that Hannibal is an anti-hero and this is partially the the reason why you should never ever write complicated thoughts about anything at two o'clock in the morning. Um, is that I don't necessarily I think that we're invited as Brian Fuller's talked about that Hannibal is everyone's is are is not everyone's but is a favorite character on the show and I mean we're invited to like him we're invited to see his trappings and his life as this sort of thing and he's charming and he's dapper and he's he's foreign to American audiences and there's all this sort of interplay of attractiveness to the show's conception of Hannibal Lecter that just really doesn't exist in other, in at least in the film versions. I mean, Hopkins is charismatic as hell, but he's not, he doesn't have that level of exoticness, that, that level of otherness that n- comes through with uh, Mickelson's performance here. And I think that's part of what makes him attractive and it's why we respond to him even while we are understanding him because there's this idea of him being sophisticated and the art that he consumes and the music that he composes and all this sort of stuff that says that this is a cultured, sane human being that we should all be very impressed by. And he's this horrible monster. And I think what I was trying to get out when I was sorting that idea out was that he isn't so much an antihero for us as an audience member, audience as a member, and we we can discuss that or debate that however you want. But I think he's very much representative of an antihero within the show, within Will's universe. That idea of this attractive person who is not attractive person, but this charismatic, compelling person whose actions we don't respond to, but that we are irresistibly drawn to and that make us uncomfortable but we can't turn away from them. And I think that's where I was trying to get from it, and I didn't quite make that clear in my review. But I think that's what it's dealing with, is that in the same way that this season, the first season was about our relationship with violence and serial killer media, this season became about us being Will in the throes of an anti-hero and how we grapple with reconciling our moral superiority and moral understanding to the release valve that we experience by watching Tony Soprano whack a bunch of guys, or Walter White using a little bit of blue nothing to blow up a drug dealer's headquarters to show that he's not to be messed with.
1: And it does, it seems very odd to me that Brian Fuller would be surprised that yeah, Hannibal is People's favorite character like have you seen your show you make him awesome yeah look <laughs> and at those suits l- man <laughs> look at his even like somebody was saying on twitter uh or in one of the podcasts i was listening to even the kill suit is perfectly tailored yeah he, yeah and even aside from that this is a show that we are watching where the first, the very first, like, rule that is established that we know going in and that we are willing to suspend our disbelief about or you don't watch the show is you're going to watch a show where one of the main characters is a serial killer and is a horrible, horrible monster. Okay, now let's follow him week in and week out. So we've accepted who this character is before we even start watching. So, from our viewers' perspective, you know, and also the show's perspective. We don't see, we don't learn anything about Hannibal's victims in season one. The the woman that he kills to demonstrate the who, who the Shrike is to uh, to Will, we find out nothing about her, her family, her. We don't we don't get, you know, his his victims other than the ones that were invited to mock or to uh, to find. Uh, You know, be like, oh, you shouldn't have been rude to him, man. You don't even know who you're talking to. Other than those, we get a few of those in season two. We don't spend time with the people whose lives he's destroying outside of our, our leads. And so the show invites us to enjoy him.
2: Well, even, Kate, your idea that, oh, you don't know who you're messing with is a significantly different reaction than, oh, my God, do not be rude to this man. Yeah. It's. It's a it's a totally different affectional reaction to to the show. It isn't oh god that guy who was rude to Hannibal who was a car rental guy. That guy is screwed and I just know. But instead, we're not dreading for that guy's life. We're just like wow, I can't wait to see how Hannibal cooks him.
1: Yeah, that guy was so stupid. Can't believe he did that. His yeah, kids are gonna yeah. be parentless now.
2: Yeah, I know. So I mean, the show's inviting us to see not necessarily see him as heroic by any stretch of the imagination, but he's 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 cool in that kind of weird twisted sense of that the show's built up, built him up as being cool. But that's that's that idea of the anti-hero idea that we've come to expect in the past 15-20 years now with television characters
0: of course and i need to say i don't want to misrepresent brian fuller's quote he was not surprised by that i, I think i okay. brought it up because um and i don't think i was necessarily surprised but i find that that reaction there's there's something there to it and and it has to do with that relationship that a viewer has with the anti-hero which we've been talking about and which you address in your review and all which i think is is rather fascinating um to think about i have one more Mm -hmm. Hannibal character um, related question before I move on to some of the, the secondary characters. And it has to do with the quote, which comes from Hannibal, I believe. Yeah, he says, love and death are the great hinges on which all human sympathies turn. What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others lives beyond us. Kate, what do you think Hannibal believes he has done for others as part of his legacy?
1: I think he thinks he's making them more beautiful or more interesting or fuller allowing them to see the world as he sees it which is better. So he thinks he's making them better. He thinks he's made, you know, Randall or he, I think there's probably the people he's just having fun with as well, but with Will he we see it in that Chrysalis speech. He is crafting a, you know, will to the point where he can reach what Hannibal sees as his potential. So he thinks he's helping these people to transcend their boring, complacent, uh, unexplored lives. That's what I would say.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would 100% agree with that as a response. Um, For certain people that Hannibal interacts with, it's not only a matter of winding them up and watching them go, which is what Will accuses them of in the season one finale, but it's winding them up, watching them go, and seeing if they keep going and whether or not they have the capacity to be that type of ideal, that imago, if I'm pronouncing, like disc-
0: imago, imago? Imago? Imago. Imago.
2: Yes, there we go, Imago. If they have the capacity to be that Amago that he sees within them. So he cultivates Randall as this killer. He's trying to push Margo to that degree, and he attempted to do it with Bedelia. And I think that's where all of this is coming from, where the world's more interesting, and he wants them to be his legacy he wants to know that he brought more beauty into this world in his own twisted sort of way and i think that's that idea of that hinge that's his idea of a legacy even if he's seen yeah that's his idea of a legacy
1: he's evil doctor who he can't (laughs) see the beauty of the universe anymore so he has to show it to somebody else so he makes (laughs) companions
2: for himself (laughs) Okay, that's even worse of a inner show comparison than me, half me, comparing the breaking of Will and Hannibal's friendship to Alicia and Kalinda's in The Good Wife.
1: I was right there with you, by the way. <laughs> I got to that bullet point in your review. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I was anyway, Sorry. People should read Noel's review on TV.com to understand what we're getting at there.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a Sean. Alana. Oh, yeah, Sean, go ahead. real quick.
2: You, you never answer your own questions Yeah, sometimes. answer some of these yeah, questions! Answers, <laughs> answer the question you just asked. I mean, do you agree with Kate and I, or do you have a different take on this?
0: It's it's not a different take so much as uh, I would add to it not just being the... being able to impart beauty, it's also relating to that idea of the Imago. Allowing people that he encounters in his life to become in the sense that is often echoed throughout these works, whether it's in the novels or in the adaptations, um, the most pure versions of themselves. And so we get the the most naturalistic route for Randall Tier, and that makes sense. And and that is something that Hannibal absolutely believes that he has helped create, and that's part of his legacy. I specifically remember the end of that scene, um, or the end of the episode with Peter and his social worker, in which he's uh, cradling Will's face and and talks about that idea of him being the the chrysalis that has evolved. And and now, at that point, he had become the Imago who had taken on a a life of its own and become something separate from Hannibal's influence. And so Hannibal is very much a, a caregiver, a father figure to these entities, and then what he is leaving is something that's even greater than himself which is probably the key aspect there for me. Yes. Are you satisfied that I've answered my own question?
1: Yes, Kate. I'll I'll allow it, but I, before we leave Hannibal, I'm going to ask a question of my own. I I really appreciated that last supper sequence we get.
2: Oh, so good.
1: With Hannibal and Will, and especially because this is a show that has the balls to make Hannibal the devil and in that scene he's Jesus
2: would you deny me
1: exactly so i'm curious what you guys think about about that and uh, as well as of course it's wonderful wonderful performance for both actors but what do you th- what you think about the the imagery used and the the sort of the roles taken on by Hannibal of very much the sacrificial christ figure the betray the betrayed in that yeah. scene as well as he's Freaking, was it Mike Myers or or Jason <laughs> at the end of the of the the episode? Uh, so I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on on how the show manages to represent that duality so convincingly. I think Sean should go first. Go for it, Sean.
0: Unfortunately, I don't have a huge background in in religious texts, and I really wish that I did. I don't know how I got through my English degree without reading a bunch of the Bible, but um, <laughs> because it's just everywhere and everything, so. What What's most interesting about that to me is that, yes, there's the contrast between Hannibal being portrayed as the devil or in some ways uh, a demon, however you want to look at it, through uh, Will's fantasies or nightmares or even just on screen. And then there is – but there's been a lot of um, godlike or angel-like religious imagery attached to him. We saw um, the orderly put him on the cross, and that was another instance in which he was a Christ like figure here he walks out into the rain and it's very much a cleansing kind of rain uh, a baptism of sorts and that that mixed imagery i think feeds into some of the ideas that we've been talking about in terms of uh, sympathy or understanding or being able to relate to this character and so that makes it slightly easier so that's not just he he may actually be pure evil, but the fact that he's represented by the show as not pure evil complicates him e- even further, which I think um, makes him a much more endearing figure for the audience.
2: I think one of the things that I... I like the idea of it being... of Hannibal kind of being Christ, but or at the very least a Christ figure, so as we not conflate the two. Um, but I think the thing isn't that it's so much he's that he's a christ figure so much as he's i think it's still very much in keeping with this idea of a fallen angel that when we talk about satan we uh i think i think more so less of a guy a devil with horns and i think more so of Luc- lucifer and the angel who fell from heaven and that sort of thing and i think that's where we kind of fall into Hannibal and that kind of weird Christ figure imagery with being denied and that sort of thing and it's not so much that we're denying Christ and that Will ends up being Judas even though I think that's kind of the impulse that we're supposed to take away from that I think it's also just this idea that Hannibal is that ends up being that serpent that snake that tempts us and that represents that evil, that desire to know what's inside of us. And I think that's where that's kind of coming from. He's literally offering all this stuff. We've talked about how he's tried to build up other people into that purer sense. And I think that's kind of where that's coming from. It's not only a denial of him, but it's a denial of the knowledge that he's offering. And Hannibal can't understand why you would deny yourself that kind of knowledge, that kind of self-awareness. So I think that's where it was going for me. I mean, I I totally see where the religious symbolism and the religious parallels are coming from. I just don't know that they necessarily work for me, totally analogously for me. But, Kate, maybe you can parse it out for me a little bit more, if you want.
1: (laughs) I agree it's not a one-for-one.
3: Yeah,
2: okay.
1: And and I like also your correlation, too. I I do see... I see Hannibal as a more directly devilish figure than just Lucifer, the tempter, um, the most beloved of angels before he falls um, for questioning God. Uh, which I know this stuff from Sunday school, but also from watching Supernatural. Uh, oh, so, and I know it
0: from Milton. So there you go. <laughs> I was just going to bring in Milton after this. Damn. Yeah. Uh,
1: but but where I would also connect it to to take the same ideas but remove the religious context is. I think part of why this finale is so incredibly successful, how are we over an hour into this without having said, Holy crap, this was an amazing, amazing episode? An amazing finale. Part of why it's so successful is that we can we can relate to yeah. Hannibal in that moment. We can see and I think because there are there are parts of ourselves that well, maybe it's just us critic types. Uh, or more artistic types we kind of hate ourselves to some extent right (laughs) or we wouldn't be trying to do this Uh, but you know there's that part of yourself that that you don't understand or don't uh, accept or aren't comfortable with that's your or your darker side maybe and then there's also your more compassionate side and so when we see that that imagery of Hannibal his face half in glowing white light his face half dark when Bella's, you know, waking up, when we see these positive moments from Hannibal where he come on guys, he only kills rude people. It's, you know, it's not that bad. We want to relate because we want to see the the good in him, uh, you know, because he's he's cool and awesome and we want to be like him in that way. Um and so when when we get to that final scene, yes, he's done all these horrible things, but we still want him to to we're still affected when he feels betrayed we're still affected when he feels hurt because we know that in our lives we have made huge mistakes and we still want that forgiveness that me that i don't deserve
2: with. yeah that i'm much more board with
0: that that's what makes john milton's uh lucifer in paradise lost such uh a good protagonist is because he does have those qualities through which we can relate and aspire to um so there's my Milton reference. Boom. <laughs> All right. So b- before we move on to the the other couple questions I had about secondary characters, uh, Noel, the last time you came on, we were discussing the, the courtroom episode, which yeah. wasn't everybody's favorite episode. But it, it wasn't I, which even Ryan
2: Fuller's favorite episode, apparently.
0: <laughs> it was his least favorite one. Yeah. Uh, it, it added an, an interesting – well, maybe not interesting. I guess it added a different element to, to Hannibal for a lot of people, and at the very yep. least it was that. Um, but, given how much Hannibal steps outside the boundaries of reality, how important is it that Kate Pernell returns in this Cade Pernell returns in this episode uh, to charge Will and Jack for their outrageous government conduct, and how much of that do you want to see next season, assuming that both characters survive?
2: I'm kind of mixed in the regard that the inner workings of the FBI and the politics of the FBI have generally been sort of my least favorite aspect of the Hannibal novels, at least when they're featured prominently. And so that kind of makes me just a little iffy. And when we talk about how Cade never really seemed to make a huge impact in her first few episodes, and then she's just back this week, I kind of just go, "Mm, did you... To me, I have to think that Cynthia Nixon just got really busy at some point, and they just weren't able to use her as often as they intended to, or they just decided to, when they were planning out and writing the episodes, they decided to veer away from that so more is to focus on Hannibal and Will as opposed to Jack's struggles within the FBI's to keep all of these plates spinning. Which is something I was interested in when they announced um, Cade as this FBI investigator. And she makes that kind of impression where she says, I come into Bayonet the Wounded. And I'm just like... That's kind of important for this to think about, considering all the shit that's gone down. But at this point, I don't know that we need that, necessarily, for it to be realistic. Um, Mainly because I'm not that concerned with the show's being realistic to us. I'm more concerned with the show having an internal realism, which I kind of think that K doesn't fit into that little matrix. Everything else I can excuse as big melodrama as opera, but Cade wanting to bring in some sort of accountability to me almost seems like it doesn't belong.
1: She's here this week to make sure that Jack doesn't have sharpshooters at every window. Yeah, no, she
2: ends up being that plot point. And there was apparently a drop scene where he's outlining where jack was outlining all of that to everyone else and i think that's when she comes in and be like oh no this isn't happening
1: well and i i do think it's a, it's a interesting and a sig- drink and a significant role but yeah and and you know what i also appreciate the contrast we get uh between jack and and alana and then katie where it's the 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 wonderful thing about reality, or it doesn't stop when you stop believing it. That kind of a thing. It's like, okay, yeah, yes, that's that's adorable and everything, but Hannibal is not reality. Yeah, this that character and that the monster that he is is beyond reality. So he's beyond anything else that they ever have to deal with. And uh, her not understanding that, you know, I I see absolutely what you're saying. No, I agree that it actually doesn't fit with the rest of the show. At all. But I'm actually kind of good with it because we are asked to buy so many different things about this. It was kind of refreshing to have somebody go, no, I'm sorry, what Will did was seriously messed up and it's not okay and we're not going to pretend like it is. Yeah, I actually appreciated that, but you're right. It does stand out um, particularly because she's sort of flitted in and out of the season. It's, it's a show I love and it's a season I love and it's a finale I really love, but it's certainly not a perfect one.
0: And that's why I would say that it would be important to have it in there, even though uh, there's no better way of putting it. I think Noel, than having an internal reality is much more important than having just a, a reality. And Hannibal, I can't think of an instance, at least, in which it betrays that internal reality. And yet, the importance of this, I think, is for—it's not just—I'm perfectly fine loving Hannibal in my own right. I also want other people to watch this effing show and and really appreciate it for what it is. And so if there are people out there who need that grounding in some sort of reality and need to see the FBI come down on some of these characters for the things that they are doing— then absolutely include it. Because well,
1: but maybe do it better.
0: Sure, yeah. More and consistently.
2: Yes. If it's more consistently, I think I'd be happier with it.
0: Okay, okay. I, I am on board there. So Consensus!
2: Yes. Yay! Blah, 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 to quote Lewis Cannon.
0: <laughs> um, moving on to Alana. So Alana argues with Cade in this episode and warns Will that the FBI is coming for him and for Hannibal. Uh, she also makes the decision to shoot Hannibal, even though she doesn't know that there are no bullets in her gun. Kate, given that this is a character who we've talked about several times already, having received plenty of criticism this season, now that we've seen all of the episodes, how do you feel about her arc this year?
1: It's, I mean, it's been a problem. I don't I don't think this changes the problem of uh, of, of earlier. I don't think this rectifies or, or gives a satisfying enough reason for the inconsistent uh, writing or even just presence of the character all season um, such that it's no longer uh, an issue for me. So this is one of those problems that I have with this season of television. I do think she's great this week. And I mean, Carolyn DaVernis sells the crap out of her. I was so blind in a really, a a very effective way. And it's like something we talked about on the podcast previously, the Way that Alana fills that role of everybody, you know, like this. This Hannibal is a prominent member in the Baltimore society, and nobody saw it, and they needed somebody to represent that, and they chose Alana. And in this episode, that it's incredibly effective, but I don't think it makes up for the uh, shoddy sort of treatment of the character earlier on.
0: Noel, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think it
2: becomes. She became a really bad, unknowing, unknowing, not that in that she was unknowing, but an un, un, representative of a audience member who doesn't know anything about Hannibal Lecter at all. like an audience member who's come to this show, hasn't read the books, hasn't seen any of the movies, just doesn't know anything apart from the fact that maybe Hannibal's a killer. And so that's kind of where she ends up being as that kind of audience surrogate so we can have some of these moments like her running up the stairs from a guy with two knives who's trying to kill her. And it just, I don't think that her realizing that and everything makes everything else totally work. And I hate saying that because like Kate, I really like Carolyn DaVernis a ton in the show. I think she's been massively underutilized when she's given stuff to do. She's incredible. And she's been great the past two episodes. She's been really, really good the past two episodes. Was
1: she in last week's episode? No, the week before. Week before. Okay, so
2: that episode. It's kind of blending together a little bit. So that's my frustration. I just... I don't like that she kind of became the damsel. And I think that there's also that element of because of her not knowing what everything was happening, including what was going on with Jack and Will, I think was the other part of this that maybe would have made this her character better if she had been in on this much sooner is that she was just cut out from all the other things that were going on that she just didn't have any way to respond to anything. She didn't have any agency really, or to act as some sort of sounding board for Will's anxieties or that sort of thing. And I think that's basically what she's kind of been for most of the shows This kind of way for Will to talk about himself when he's not talking to Hannibal. And she was deprived of that role here and given this other role, and it just didn't work for anything really productively.
1: They were just kind of stuck with not knowing how they could incorporate her in a way that made sense and didn't yeah.
2: compromise you know,
1: compromise their end plan.
2: Yeah, that I think is ultimately, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh,
0: we have consensus yet again because mm-hmm. uh, that's about what I would say. I, I did appreciate that like the the scene that we got many episodes ago, once Will was released, uh, I believe it was, when she went to his house, um, or rather he was returning to his house and she was there watching the dogs. They, they have a conversation, and Will's not acting like a jealous guy about whatever's happening with Hannibal. That was very true to those characters. I, I also appreciated that during their conversation, um, in, in, the one that features her tear dropping and forming into blood – on the table there's not like a a grandiose like apology or no, yeah, yeah. get together you know it, it was very well executed i thought and even though yeah she has been one of the the biggest recurring characters who has had the most problems with the the story this season i guess i can just tune out of that and so it, it's never really affected my experience of this season and I'm saddened that it does for some other people because that's that's unfortunate.
1: If, if they had even just given us one scene with her interacting with somebody other than the men in her life and we get that in this episode she she has that scene with Katie but through the rest of the we saw scenes of Hannibal alone we saw scenes of Will alone we saw scenes of Jack uh, alone or if not with, with, uh, with his wife everybody else got to have an interaction with somebody who wasn't either a love interest or Jack. And I don't think, I think she didn't even really have that many scenes with Jack.
3: No, Um, I guess
1: she she had that interview scene that we all like, or at least uh, Sean and I liked uh, when she was interviewing um, Christy Metopoulos, Again, I can't remember the character name, but for the most part, she only existed in scenes with these other characters. And unlike so much of the rest of this show, for me, and I'm with you, with you here, Noel. I I do l- love the the actress and the potential the character has. She didn't exist when she wasn't on frame. Yeah, and and that's a problem.
0: All right, that's it for Alana Bloom. You're done. You could just lie out there in <laughs> oh, the rain and the glass.
3: Uh,
1: no. <laughs>
2: mean, I I mean I watched off the map for Carolyn Duvernas. Don't don't do this to
1: me. <laughs> don't forget QB one there. Uh Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> Alright.
0: Uh Noel. Fuller yes. has said Fuller has said that he thinks that Bedelia is the most intelligent person in the series. What is her role next season?
2: I hate saying it because I'm just gonna end up regurgitating what Fuller said in his interview with Todd Vanderworf. <laughs> but um I think Bedelia has just after all the carnage and I mean I would have loved I want it on the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever. I want the scene where Hannibal goes to wherever Bedelia is and says, Hey, I just maybe killed four people or am responsible for three people's deaths and indirectly responsible for one more person's death. Do you want to go to Europe? And I, I just want that scene where Bedelia realizes that the only way to get away from this is to be as close as possible to this. And to give in to the idea that Hannibal is a monster, so I'm just going to have to stay as close as I can and not do anything to get him annoyed, upset, to think I'm not interesting. He already thinks I'm interesting. He wouldn't leave me alone. So I need to do something. And I mean, she sort of seems quietly resigned in that airport In Not the airport, on that airplane. I mean, she's not happy seeming by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't know that we've ever seen Bedelia happy, so I may not be the best judge of that. So her role next season, I think, is mostly going – I'm worried that her role next season may be a little more narratively motivated – in that she's someone for Hannibal to talk to while he's on the run from the FBI and wherever they're going so he can talk about himself, which won't be interesting and a huge waste of Gillian Anderson's considerable talents. So that's kind of where I think she'll maybe end up. But on the other hand, if she's smart, she'll tip off the FBI and she will run, run, run. Yep.
1: See, you say... The conversation. I feel like th- this is Mass Mikkelsen and Jillian Anderson. I feel like there was no conversation. There was like a slight tilt of the head and a, a gesture with the hand ah, and ah. then a nod and grabbing of a coat and they were at the airport. I feel like that was That's the complete That's probably change.
2: significantly more likely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, I'm looking forward to what they do next and I'm not I'm, I'm going to refuse to answer this one, Sean, because I have no idea. I think there's a lot that they could do and they certainly have uh, the two have excellent chemistry and uh, the considerable acting talent as well, as Noel, you had said. So uh, I think they could go pretty much whatever way they want yeah. next season.
2: I just hope that they lock her up, uh, not contract-wise, more so than they were able to do this season.
0: That that would be ideal, and Fuller has yeah. said that he wants her as a regular, and to have a Hannibal season, in which she's part of the opening credits, that's... That's really something to look forward to in theory. So uh, let's move on to – I guess we'll go to the two recurring segments because I think the the remainder of my questions that we'll do afterwards are a little bit more general. And we'll begin with Kate's Classical Corner. So uh, keeping in mind all of the stuff that we've talked about so far, uh, what else can you tell us about the scoring in Mizumono?
1: Well, there are two classical pieces featured prominently. We've already discussed a little bit about uh, the Goldberg Variations, and I'll get there with a little bit more information about that. Uh, but first, the other uh, classical piece that is featured in this episode is Scarlatti Sonata in F Minor for, for piano. Um, it's in the scene, it's in the Last Supper scene. It's the background scoring, and it's very low underneath everything else that's going on, so it's easy to miss, but, but yeah, it is I there. Yeah, I totally missed it. Yeah, uh, Scarlatti was a Baroque composer. Um, he was actually born the same year as as Bach, who, of course, composed the Goldberg Variations. A so fun little detail there. But the piece is, it's, again, for solo piano, much like the Goldberg Variations, so it works very well as sort of a a a partner piece to that. But it's it's very dark tonally. It, the, the tonality um, is very um, ominous. So it fits very well with that scene of uh, Will and and Han- Hannibal knows, but will doesn't know that Hannibal knows that whole thing works really well um it it's surprisingly dissonant in in moments and it keeps almost transition like starting to transition to major, but even before the arpeggio's done, it's back to minor again, so it's this notion that Hannibal would love for will to just come clean and then he would forgive him, and they would go off into the sunset together but that's not what happens. So the ho- you know, the notion of hope and then immediately being uh, removed. Um, and, and it also, the, it doesn't resolve. The piece doesn't resolve as you might expect, which fits very uh, very well with the scene. Because again, it doesn't let the audience off the hook. It doesn't end with some like piggerty third. Oh, yay, we're all happy at the end, randomly, which can happen in some broke music. Um, it, it, and so much like... You know the, the the situation with Will and Hannibal is still in process. It's still um, a minor chord being held underneath the rest of the action. That is the same for for the Scarlatti, um, and then the, for the Bach Goldberg variations, the aria of course has been featured so far four times. In the series we talked about this a couple weeks ago but i'll mention it again here it's the first piece that's played in aperitif the pilot when when we meet hannibal when he's eating that's the piece that's playing it pops up again in fromage uh, episode eight of season one when we have that dinner with tobias the other serial killer and then two weeks ago in Konomono, it comes back for the orlatan bunting scene which again directly compares will to tobias and the this, this sort of courtship are you are we going to be buds notion with Hannibal uh, between those two characters and as well uh him by himself in the pilot and then here in Mizumono um not only is it sort of forayified uh to fit with all of this action this epic dramatic you know greek tragic (laughs) conclusion to the season-long arc but it's it's uh it's the culmination of the journey of Will and Hannibal to this point. So of course, it's a blend of those two things. And then again, it's in the cre- closing credits as we get our blue happy skies only non-black credit sequence that we've gotten all season. And so just as in the pilot Hannibal was alone here, he is seemingly alone. He's with uh he, he's with De- uh, Dr. Demoyer, of course, but she does not consider herself his friend. She's learned better better than that, as she sort of expresses in the week, um, episode previous. So it's you know whether or not it's this notion of okay, well now he's with a, Do- a Bedelia and that's who his dinner partner is, or if it's more, no, he's by himself, but he hasn't, he just has a you know a traveling companion, but that's not, he's still back to being truly by himself again. I mean, that's more what I would see. I'm curious what you guys. Let's see about that, and the other use is of course, it's very fe- very uh significantly featured in the Silence of the Lambs. It's the music that is played right before and then right after Hannibal escapes when they bring him his dinner and he horrifically kills the one and chains up the other guard and then finishes the piece over there, like with his face all bloody. That's the same piece that's used, yeah. So I hadn't mentioned that earlier, do you guys have any thoughts on the Goldberg variations before I go to some other scoring?
2: No, just that I've always been a big fan of it.
1: <laughs> it's a lovely piece,
2: yeah, no, it's a beautiful piece kiddo
1: okay um the the other scoring notes I have I'll try to there's so much, but i'll I'll try to keep it uh brief. I did love this score love 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 this score um, in particular this week um, we get this continuing motif of ticking clock or uh it's actually apparently like an egg timer that Ritzel has um as well as grandfather clock kind of chimes but i enjoy their three particular times when the clock winds and uh it it does um at the it winds twice in like the first scene in, in that first conversation with you know with the when we get the two the split screen of of Hannibal and Will, and then again the other place that it, that it winds is when uh, Will calls Hannibal and says they know. We get a winding up of the clock again, so it's only just really in those two scenes. So I, I really enjoyed that detail. Um, then uh, and, and and it continues to wind as Jack comes in, and then we start the fight sequence. And of course, once we start that Jack and Will, Jack and Hannibal fight sequence, there's no more ticking through in the rest of the episode because this has all been leading to this moment. We get throughout the episode a recurring sort of I think it's woodblock uh, very metronomic click even when in the first uh the end of the first scene when the the Will gives his answer of, you know, will you know what to do or whatever he says he will. The the clock time, the the ticking clock slows down there, but the woodblock doesn't. And so even while the clock is, you know, the tension is being released somewhat theoretically, the woodblock pushes on and doesn't really give you that full respite that you might expect. And I love that detail from Reitzel. Uh, We also have, um, oh, the first winding is when Hannibal puts the uh, invitation in the envelope. So he starts things off. With that invitation to Jack, and that's what starts the the clock going. So I, you know, just so wonderful. We get the clarinet back this week for the first time. A little bit maybe in that scene, uh, one of the scenes with Mason a couple weeks ago. But really, it was prominently featured with Chilton, and we get it again here while Hannibal pieces together his betrayal from Will. So when he smells Freddie, and he, and we come back, there is very significant or prominent, uh, prominently uh, clarinet. Notes, and I think that's Noel. What you were cueing into those few notes you said.
2: Was it a clarinet?
1: Um, I, I'm not sure if that's what you're referencing, but in that scene at the end of that, there is there is clarinet, which I appreciated there because of course I tie that in with that. Um, when you talked earlier about the Inky Alana, um, mm-hmm. the first time that we had her in the in the pilot or no, that's the, the premiere, it was a rolled symbol with this sort of um, with this lovely sort of cello line. As well, and she sort of two episodes ago there was some cello cues to go with Alana. This time, as she's being sort of overwhelmed with this water, we get the the same rolled percussion, but we don't get the comfort of that cello line. So whereas in the in the premiere she is a comforting figure for Will, he's being swallowed sort of by by her, but it's a positive helpful presence in in theory here it's just the cold i mean it's the, the the notion of the rolling water of the percussion but without that that guiding line of the cello so I, I appreciated that also we get um a lot of sort of water imagery with her scoring as she uh goes as she comes into the house and um goes upstairs we get again more of that same kind of um, the the rushing water kind of sense as she turns to run away. Um, the fight scene is com- scored completely different than the first time we saw it. The first time we saw it in in the premiere, it was very much what this season has been with the the dry the percussion hits, but with a lot of space in between. There was a much more prominent use of sound design of hearing all of the hits uh, and the physicality of that fight in the in the premiere here it's a much thicker sound wall um with really great dissonance as well there's some organ they use the same kind of like toy organ in that fight scene the second and third time we come back to it that they used when Beverly was killed off screen it's just i oh my god i'm geeking out it's so cool i when i when i noticed that so they they take this the instrument instrumentation when 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 uh, Hannibal comes after Chilton and Chilton realizes he's doomed, and then they use it, they give it to Hannibal when Hannibal realizes he's he's been betrayed, and then when Beverly is being killed, she doesn't stand a chance. We get we get a sort of toy organ kind of sound, and we get it again here when Jack doesn't stand a chance, and it's just when he's you know see, potentially bleeding out in the pantry. oh, it's just wonderful. Um, I, I have so many more of these guys. I'm just going to stop because I've been going for a while, and I'm sure at a certain point people are going to get tired, but if you want more Classical Corner Talk, send me an email, theteleversygmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter. I could talk about this stuff all day. I literally have five pages of notes, most of it on music, so I love this scar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Perfect. We'll, we'll move on to the devil and the details then, which just for my listeners is the segment in which we pick up on any of the smaller things that occur in the episode, be they visual or otherwise. Uh, I'll begin by touching on something that I mentioned in my review, which was, I believe, before the commercial break. Yeah, as soon as Alana gets pushed out of the window, uh, Slade frames one of those shots so that um, she's falling kind of upwards and to the right. And I know uh, in, in one of our podcasts, and i I'm so sorry for forgetting which one it was and who the guest was, but he had mentioned that there was that scene in which Hannibal and Alana are sleeping together, and it's framed so that it looks like they're lying upward against the wall rather than lying down. And so this was kind of a nice echo of a similar type of shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Noel, what uh, little things stood out to you?
2: Well, aside from the um, line that we already mentioned where Hannibal's stage whispers, In the pantry! Um, which was the one really funny thing that happened this week. Um, I think the big, one of the small, big, small things for me was Hannibal discussing his memory palace. Um, Were you going to talk about that later on, Sean, or?
0: Uh, It wasn't on my list, no.
2: Great. Okay. Wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on toes. Um, Was uh, Hannibal's memory palace and how essential that is to how he copes with his incarceration, at least in the books. It's not bought up in the movies very much, if at all. I don't think it was in the Hannibal movie. Um, but I, it was a nice way of bringing that back since we hadn't really seen the idea of a memory palace since Will's River and his fishing for memories. And I just really appreciated that coming back since it was a really important part of how Hannibal organizes his interior world because the memory palace functions as both a pneumatic uh, system, which is how it was originally developed, but it also becomes for Hannibal a way to survive and it's his window basically. So it's, I was glad that they bought in Hannibal's memory palace here.
0: Go for it, Kate.
1: Okay. Shall we trade back and forth?
0: Yeah, I only have a couple more, so I'll probably do my last two right after you.
1: Okay, the first one I have here is I love the little flicker of flame we get um, in the edges of Will, particularly in his lighting the back of his hair in that Last Supper scene. As Hannibal t- tells him, uh, uh, if Jack were to tell you all is forgiven, you know, would you confess? You know, all this. And Will, when you know, Hannibal gives him one more chance, and Will lies to him again. He behind his his head is. Are, are the reflections of the flame from the fireplace? So he has lost his chance, and now he's going to burn.
0: Uh, the, my other two things were Cade's suit, which is a very vibrant, I think, orange color, and that definitely stood out in contrast to all the other colors going on in the episode. And uh, Nola, you already mentioned the in the pantry line of dialogue. Uh, for me, perhaps even more funny was Alana putting. Two bullets through the door, and then saying, "I found more bullets," <laughs> as if she needed to say it. And then she fired <laughs> another one after, just in case. Uh, so those are my details. For, those, punctuation. Yeah, it was of for punctuation, yeah, for punctuation. Yeah, those those first two bullets were commas. That last one was the full stop.
1: See, I, I tell myself she was posturing because she was nervous, and that's why it was terrible dialogue. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no um i think one of the things um that i that was very small and it was only like two very brief scenes was jack getting ready to leave his house and sitting next to bella and then kissing her on the forehead goodbye while she's asleep and it just kind of tore at me a little bit at how quiet that was plus there was also i think dialogue going on at the same time over it and it was just really i just I was really happy that we had those two scenes of him realizing that he was maybe not going to come back that he wasn't going to survive this. And I I really appreciated them giving them that space.
1: They they were incredibly um affecting. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um a couple clothing things I noticed. Uh you already mentioned uh the the orange or the the red uh suit depending on the lighting that we got, but also Hannibal's suit is very bold this week in that last dinner final supper kind of uh scene it was it has like the red in it again the last time we saw one it wasn't quite it was even more bold and flashy but the last time i remember seeing a suit with that prominent of red it was in that one he wore with chilton and then not long later he was killing chilton and so then here he's wearing red in his dark suit again and not long after he's killing everyone uh bella wears a sort of like an ashen gray for much of the episode and when she's been more vibrant in the past she's worn white and uh when she's uh more you know kind of fading away she's she's in grays and so that happens here freddie's in a rather restrained number for her there's no you know it's it's actually rather simple and so i i noted that but um again uh the 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 uh, outside of the um the clothing things, those details really Oh, and also I can't have been the only one on the second viewing, not the first viewing, going, Just just hug her. Just just hug Abigail. Come on. It would solve everything. Anyways, um but I really very much appreciated the callbacks to the pilot that we get, or there are a couple of callbacks. We have Alana call Will, but she's calling Will from her car. So just as in the season one finale, she had that incredibly powerful breakdown moment in her car before she went to to see Will knowing, you know, theoretically that he was the Chesapeake Ripper or that he at least had killed one person because he was ill here. She's calling Will to warn him about Hannibal. And so I enjoyed the parallel of that, but more specifically the Alana parallel that I enjoyed is She's a stand-in for Abigail's mother, bleeding out in the front step <gasps> from the attack. Yes, yep. she is. Damn. And then we go in, and Abigail is Abigail, and Will is Garrett Jacob Hobbs. This, this, and I said this on Twitter, this finale not only gave me everything that I wanted, it gave me so much more that I didn't know I want, wanted, and Abigail was a big part of that, but an even bigger part was Garrett Jacob Hobbs. So I was very, very glad to see him back in this episode. And that's my devils in the details. Yeah,
2: yeah I had I had Garrett on mine as well, um, which, I mean, just it was really interesting to have him come back as Will is preparing to catch Hannibal. At least he hopes so. Um, my last two things were all, one of them is also red. I love that Freddy is just pure red in Hannibal's brain. <laughs> and she's just a big red orange thing in his brain so I loved that and I think the one thing that I'm going to end up missing most of all from this from the past two seasons given that we're maybe changing gears in season three is that I'm really going to miss the set for Hannibal's office because that is a beautiful beautiful set
0: I could not agree with that more. That, I think that was one of the very first things that I absolutely loved about the first couple episodes of season one was just being in that room with those characters because it is gorgeous.
2: It's gorgeous, and the other thing I love about it is that it's two—it's two levels, which you almost never see on TV because it's probably a pain in the ass to shoot but it's two levels and you just don't see that on TV. So you got all sorts of like little power plays with where people are standing and that sort of thing. And I just loved that. So I'm, if I'm imagining we're not going to be returning to that set anytime soon. So I'm really going to miss it.
0: Okay. A couple questions designed specifically for each of you. Uh, and I think Oh dear. That-
1: <laughs> and I got one for the two of you too, before okay. we finish. Go
0: Perfect. for it. Oh, we got plenty of material left, but the, these ones I, I had in mind for each of you, um, and hopefully this will give us a chance to appropriately gush about how freaking good this episode was. Uh, Noel, first of all, as somebody who who watches both shows and reviews them, um, I wanted to know what you thought—not what, what was the better episode—and I okay. wish I had—I wish I had a better word than satisfying. But what was more satisfying as a final episode in a season's worth of material leading up to it? The Arrow finale or this finale?
2: Oh, this finale. Easily. I mean, I I liked the Arrow finale a great deal, but this, by far and away, a more satisfying finale. I can't even think of a... Finale that was more satisfying than this, except in recent memory, the only one I can maybe think towards is What's in the Box from season four finale for the Good Wife.
0: And I'm sure people will absolutely hate me. I would definitely see that this is the better episode by an incredibly large margin. Oh,
3: totally. Um, Yeah.
0: And yeah, I I might lean more towards the Arrow finale in terms of just wrapping up all of those stories in such a, a fantastic way. I'm a huge fan of Arrow, though, so that obviously. Uh, alters that to some degree. Uh, And then Kate, unfortunately Ricky could not be here with us today, uh, so I'm going to kind of combine his question with yours. Uh, He called this one of the greatest episodes of television of all time, and obviously uh, you have to watch a bunch of stuff. So uh, in some weeks it's probably coming up on close to a couple dozen shows that, that we cover for the Televerse And and even in the off times, it's at least half of that amount. So you've seen an incredible amount of television up to this point in 2014. Is this the best episode of the year so far? Is this the best season of television so far? And does does this (laughs) this episode in that conversation of greatest of all time?
1: It is. There's been a lot of really very good to great TV this year. There's been a lot of great TV this week. It's a good week to be a TV fan. Holy crap! Is it a good week to be a TV fan? Other people will have a much stronger connection to Mad Men, and I feel like that's the other show that's gonna, you know, be in conversation. As f- as for like this, and other people like True Detective a lot more than I did too. So maybe there's that for some people. But as far as I'm concerned, this is the best episode of television since Ozymandias. Um, At least for the dramas, I, I don't even want to try to think about blending in a show like adventure time or some of these other comedies and kind of trying to put them in the same sphere but the visceral immediate and and powerfully lingering effect of this episode is substantial there when it, when an episode prompts as much response and i'm not saying Oh my god, I can't believe that blah blah blah. People are dying or whatever. That's shock. That goes away. When when an episode prompts this much genuine visceral response from its audience, it's doing something very, very right. And the last time I felt this was Ozymandias. and it's one of the, that's one of the best television episodes ever made. So, I, and I would say this is the best finale we've gotten since Spartacus. I would need to rewatch the Spartacus series finale to decide where I think those two rank. I like the Spartacus series finale better than the Breaking Bad uh, series finale because I wasn't as big on the, that series finale. Ozymandias is better as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I do think that this is a truly great episode of television. And um, And before I say it is amongst the best of all time, I think it needs distance. Distance is the only thing that allows you to avoid consistent hyperbole. So it's very possible there's some hyperbole in what I'm saying because it is so fresh. But the last time I felt this, the way that I felt after watching this uh, episode of uh, of Hannibal, was, uh, like I said, was Ozymandias from Breaking Bad last September. And um, the closest that I felt to this, uh, where I needed to talk to people about I needed to talk to people about it right after I finished... Was the Good Wife this season dramatics, Your Honor? Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at with it. I, Sean, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen a bunch of really, really good television this year, and even an individual episode like the the Truth About Unicorns from Banshee, which was such a, an amazing departure for that series altogether, and which really stood out on its own as one of the most beautiful things beautiful examples of filmmaking that I've seen on television. Um, this has to take it. And for so many of the reasons that we've talked about, and I'm a, I'm a big geek for like the structure of how these scripts work and to see that work in tandem with what we've talked about with the, the composition to have that, that ticking time bomb for the first half of the episode, just be there almost the entire time, or at least it felt like that. And then to get that last 18 minute sequence, which was damn near flawless. Um, this this is the best episode of TV so far, as far as I'm concerned. It is the best season, and I am one of those people who will defend Mad Men with such vigor that I will physically fight people if I need to. And mm-hmm. It is undoubtedly my favorite series of all time, and yet we'll have to wait and see on the tomorrow's season finale. Just looking at these episodes, Hannibal has a beat. Hannibal Season 2 has Mad Men Season 7 point one beat which to me is amazing i think last year my my top three of the entire year were spartacus final season at one then Mad Men, then hannibal i I won't be surprised if if hannibal leapfrogs by the end of this year so that's that's ridiculous and i can't say enough nice things about this episode and this season and how fun and exhausting and sad and emotional it's been it's been such a ride and this was the perfect way to conclude it so That's what I would have to say. You said that you had some questions.
1: Well, the question I have, I mean, Noel, do you want to chime in on that or are you good?
2: Um, I think that this episode is probably one of the most affecting episodes I've watched this year. The only thing I can think of that kind of like sucker punched me as much as this episode did emotionally was dramatic, Your Honor, which you mentioned from The Good Wife. Um, though I would chip in, um the last, the last call more so yeah. than dramatics, Your Honor. And then you, Kate, you mentioned Adventure Time, and I'm Escape from the Citadel, the second episode of this second this season six, is just so good. And I don't know if you've watched it yet, but it's so so very good. And I, for me, it's kind of in that mix of one of the better episodes that I've seen so far this year.
1: It's true. I mean, Adventure Time is one of those shows that I will. Get on a soapbox about, and I haven't even seen most of it yet. I'm working on chipping away that, that, that uh, set of episodes I'm behind on. But I think it's an amazing show that doesn't get anywhere near enough respect, uh, and certainly not enough viewership. Um, so yeah, I think that's an excellent suggestion as well. Uh, the the question I had for you guys, I can't believe I didn't make the connection of Will also being the teacup because the, when the episode with the teacup was so Alana. Heavy. I was seeing her, Uh, as well as just a more generic, all of Hannibal's people being teacups. In this finale, we get a wonderful callback from Hannibal, which is, it's a little on the nose, but Hannibal basically says, I dropped you in the pilot, (laughs) and you put yourself back together here in season two. Um, And so I'm curious for you guys... Did the teacup that is Will shatter when first we first had the stag introduced, which or, or when we had the first murder that Hannibal did as a gift to Will? So the the girl upon the antlers, and right after that, the stag sort of Patronus shows up, or did the teacup shatter with Will's uh, d- defensive killing of Garrett Jacob Hobbs at the end of that episode? And whichever answer feels better for you, how does that relate to the last image we have in this episode of the stag slowly dying? Is it a good thing that the stag is dying, seeing as the stag was somewhat prompted by Hannibal's involvement in Will's life? Is that the stag, meaning the part of Will affected or changed by Hannibal dying, is that a good thing? Or is that stag there to defend against Hannibal and so it's dying is the worst possible thing? I don't Uh, know what I think. I was
2: really hoping we weren't going to talk about the stag, because I don't know (laughs) what I think about the stag.
1: Okay, then go to the teacup. (laughs) Um,
2: With the teacups, I honestly think that it's kind of a weird situation in that I think that the teacup, I think you, I think the teacup breaks more so when he calls Garrett Jacob Hobbs. I think that's him tipping it over anyway, knocking it over, and then mm-hmm. Will arriving at the scene and shooting Garrett Jacob Hobbs is when the teacup actually hits the ground, and so and then this season is that teacup is. Will pulling himself back together. Literally, emotion. Well, not literally, of course not, because <laughs> he hasn't been dismembered. But he's pulling himself back together enough that he can battle Hannibal, basically. So I think that is when... I. It's when he shoots Garrett Jacob Hobbs that I think the teacup hits the ground. And it's because Hannibal called Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Because otherwise there's no reason for him to shoot. But no, the stag, I, I don't know. Like, I was... Trying not to think about the stag because Will shoots the stag with Garrett Jacob Hobbs's help in that weird tree, that actual treehouse <laughs> representation of his house, and it's I don't or shoots at anyway because who knows. And also, are you sure the stag's dead?
1: Are you sure <laughs> dying? It's not dead. Very important.
2: So no, I don't. I I see the stag very much as that Patronus, as that protective thing. So that it's going away, for me, I want it to be that Will doesn't need it anymore, that he's letting that need, that protection go, that he's realized that he's resolved at this point in his potentially last moments. I don't want it to be a bad thing because I don't want Will to be broken again. I, I, I can't deal with Will being broken again. Not right.
0: Hi, <laughs> after after I answer this, Anola, uh, I have ten more questions about the stag, so prepare. Oh,
2: no! I'm leaving. Call, ask Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I I agree that I I think that the stag is still a protective force, and so in that sense, to see its death is a bad thing, and it could mean so many different things. I, I don't I don't even know if it's necessarily a manifestation of something belonging to will oftentimes it it can be abigail and just because of how important she's been and we've seen her appear in his fantasies as well in that stream scene earlier this season so whatever she represents or represented to him i think that there's something within that that the stag also represents and so to see her die and to see it die makes sense to me, uh, if if I'm looking at it like that. As far as the teacup goes, my shattering moment actually happens much later. Um, To me, what you have both mentioned is very much the beginning of the descent, and obviously shooting Hobbs is a huge part of that descent. My shattering moment for Will, though, is when Hannibal asks him to draw the clock, and we see It through his perspective and then again through Hannibal's perspective and then Hannibal does nothing about that in terms of letting Will know that he is suffering from encephalitis or whatever it is and so like that that's the shattering and everything following that I guess okay because there's a lot lot of breaking it's a very extended (laughs) shattering over the course of many episodes until like he can begin the ascent Um, and probably the ascent begins once he's allowed to kind of Stew over all of this when he's behind bars, so that's that's where I would point to.
1: Okay, I think I think what I where I'm at with the stag, <laughs> drawing on what you guys have said, which is very uh, very helpful. This is why it's it's nice to go last. I can
2: make the stag thing worse potentially. Do you want to? Well, what I was what I was thinking when you're asking this question, I was thinking back to your podcast last week with uh, Vincenzo, Natalie. And his assertion that Will's flashes were there for the audience and less so there for Will. Okay. So what if, uh, is he even seeing
1: the stag? Is it just
2: there for us?
1: Oh, God. See? You had to make it more complicated. I made it more complicated. It really does.
0: It really does ruin it. Damn it.
1: And uh, it's, it's a, that's a good thing to think about. Uh, that's provided, yeah. of
2: course, everyone uses the stag the same way compared to how um, Natali himself approached using it, of course, and that's open to interpretation. So that was just me throwing another little wrench in that. Go ahead with good. what you were going
1: to say. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I'm drawing this from is the the sense of that scene with Gerrit Hobbs where he quotes his final words when he was alive to Will, and th- there was this for me that scene felt wrong so when he points the gun at the stag it felt wrong i, I was like kind of yelling at my tv don't do it don't do it um and and i think it's also notable that in that moment the dogs are not a respite they're not a positive helpful welcoming presence and that's either because the dogs have been perverted by mason or because will is not will so they do not register him as friend they register him as a stranger and when he sacrifices his stag in theory by cho- by shooting at it he it's the, theoretically the last thing he needs to prepare himself for what's going to come um and so that it's a very dark moment uh, that's what it feels like to me, and there's some stuff in the scoring that goes along with that. Hit me up on Twitter; it's awesome. Uh, but the, the then when that you get to the end of the episode, I, you know, because it felt like it was a bad thing earlier that he was shooting at the stag. It was, if again, it felt very, very sad, and um, and I, because Brian Fuller does. Call, I mean, and again, this is taking information outside of the show and, and having it affect our opinion of the show, which is something we've talked about on the podcast before. But because he does call it a Patronus, a Patronus is a wonderful, happy, positive, good thing, protector thing. And so I can't help but feeling like like, like I want the other uh, other characters, patro- Patroni, to run in and do some CPR and save the stag. So while I do like this notion, Noel, that he doesn't need the stag anymore. I can't help but be saddened by the notion that maybe we're not going to see him again. Sure. I can get that. So there's my, que- there's my difficult question.
0: Okay. So <laughs> on my list, I have one listener question, and I have three bonus round questions for the podcast. Before we do that, is there anything else that either of you wanted to mention about this episode or this season? No, I'm
2: just sad I didn't bring a really complicated question. No one told me to bring a complicated question. <laughs> you should
0: know you should just know
2: i came prepared for everything else but at my
0: own complicated question (laughs) Noel, tell me about the stag what does it mean what does it mean Ah! (laughs) Uh,
1: i guess the only other thing i would say about the season is that i have loved doing this podcast Hey, remember sean when there was this we didn't know if we were going to do this i'm so glad we did i was
0: i was going to say that for the end yeah to kind of just mention that briefly
1: that this has been awesome um and Hannibal is one of those shows I, I really have enjoyed watching the critical uh, buzz around the show grow this season. It feels like people are talking about it more and the ratings have gone up somewhat. Um, it was uh, I think it was a 19 percent higher ratings for this finale as compared to last season's finale. So that has me encouraged Um also, particularly because this was a season finale and not a series finale.
2: God, the most depressing series finale ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but Hannibal, there are shows that I say everyone should watch. For example, everyone should watch The Good Wife. Everyone should watch Adventure Time. Not everyone should watch Hannibal. But everybody should give it a shot. Unless they hear the description and know they'll hate it, but everybody should give it a shot because I I was prepared to hate the show. I thought it was going to be terrible.
2: Everyone thought it was going to be terrible.
1: It should have been terrible. Yeah, (laughs) but it's so amazing. So, and, and if you're listening, if you're on, you know, more than two hours into a lengthy podcast about the last episode of the second season of Hannibal, you watch Hannibal. But maybe we can, you know, have a project this summer where we go out and get other people to watch the show try to spread the word a little bit because i really do think you know it's a show that's so hard to take for very legitimate and wholly understandable reasons um that i think a lot of people do put off watching it even if they intend to but but it has really proven itself particularly in this season to have such a sure hand and to to be so confidently directed and written and and acted as well um that that it really is. Uh, I, it would be nice if this could just be a given that everybody that that is interested in television as an art form watches it. So I guess pester your friends.
0: <laughs> I I definitely will. Kate, did you want to mention the the listener question that we got?
1: sure thing we got a question from one of our listeners brian we also got an email from uh another of of our listeners christine thank you we talked about some some music stuff some devil uh some classical corner uh touches that was it was very fun thank you for for emailing christine but uh brian wanted to know what we thought the show how we thought the show would handle an element that comes from the books um so this might be considered a book spoiler so if you're worried about book spoilers uh give us 30 seconds so skip forward 30 seconds starting now so uh in the books uh, will at the start of uh red dragon has been on hiatus how do we think the show is going to handle that he's been in florida completely doing a very completely different life how do we think the show is going to handle that keeping it spoiler free for those who have skipped ahead sean
0: uh i imagine it'll be a time jump there are there are characters in red dragon who begin red dragon who are not a part of this uh hannibal tv series who are important not just to will but to that book and to get there i I don't see that entire time being addressed in this tv series so so i see a time jump
1: mid-season or at the beginning or something like that but not in between seasons
0: probably yeah
1: Noel, any thoughts? It'll,
0: I
2: can't see them not using a time skip for this at some point, whether it's between seasons or halfway through a season. It's. It just depends on how much they want to spend with season three and that hunt for Hannibal and the time that they need for that. But no, it's going to be a time skip. I don't see any other way that they could really make that struggle that Will experiences coming back work.
1: Okay, I, I think that's a I think that's an excellent uh, answer. And I have no idea. So they, they're they very creative people. And a lot will come down to how strictly they adhere to the source material moving forward. We got a sense from some of Brian Fuller's comments that they may depart further, even further than they already have yeah. um, next season. And so if that, that may open up new possibilities for what comes next. Uh, so I will see. And if you're playing the Televerse drinking game, drink, because that's now the second or third time we've said we'll see. But that that is pretty much – I mean, I think either of your answers makes sense. Mid-season – or, sorry, between seasons would work, too, but then we wouldn't get to spend the time with those other characters that we do need to meet. So uh, I think there are several options, and um, I look forward to seeing what they come up with.
0: All right. Bonus round. There are three questions here. This is kind of a best of. The first of, of these questions is – uh, basically, best supporting cast member slash character. I'm going to list off uh, some of the key ones. Obviously, your answer doesn't have to be limited, but this is for season two, who has been basically the MVP on the bench. And I'm excluding people who have been part of the opening credits. So not Alana, not Jack, and not Beverly. Um, and just as a refresher, there's there's Jimmy and Brian. You could take them as a single unit if you'd like. There <clears throat> is Freddie. There is Bedelia. Chilton. Able chilton <laughs> i'm not done with my list yet sorry you Able buzzed gideon. in too
2: soon kate i was being yes. blind and waiting for the I'm host locked to out finish now. the question you <laughs> I'm lose
0: sorry. 200 points i'm sorry kate uh chilton abel gideon miriam bella and either of the verger siblings kate would you like to stick with your original answer
1: yes the the, the answer is who is uh who is chilton because we really did need comedy. <laughs> We're at the end of the season. The last several episodes have been so oppressively dark that if slash when I do a rewatch, I so look forward to the comedy gold of Raul Sparza that I just, I don't have words. So I do have to give it to Chilton. It's been a very deep bench of fabulous supporting characters, actors and character, you know, performances and writing. But I do have to give it to Chilton.
2: Nope. Um, I'm I'm in agreement with Kate. Um, Chilton for me just barely edges out Michael Pitt's performance and Mason Verger's just insanity. Um, I think it's just in large part because we've had more time with Chilton, so we've had time to watch him kind of wiggle and worm his way around things. So to watch Raúl Esparza just do so many wonderful things in his maybe final episode, who knows? Um, with like trying to figure out exactly what Hannibal's serving at his dinner, at his dinner party and then running through his apartment and then just all that stuff in, what was it? Nakajoko mm-hmm. is just, I think so. it's just gold. And so, and I'm also in the firm belief that we need more people with, no, sorry. That was from season one when he had a beard. He didn't really have, he didn't have a beard this season. So never mind my beard love. Um <laughs> So no, so no, Chilton totally, but like by the thinnest of hairs, because Michael Pitt's performance in, has
1: just been great.
0: Okay. Uh, Who's your pick? Yeah, love Chilton. I'll also give a shout out to Bedelia and Bella, and those actresses are just superb. Mine does go to Michael Pitt as Mason Berger. I, I got no words. Like, I had very high expectations coming into that. And they were entirely met. And I, those people who are like, he just doesn't fit in with the tone of the show. They're wrong. Uh, he, well, <laughs> even if they are, like, okay, I don't care because I absolutely mm-hmm. love him. And, and I would say, yeah, he does fit in uh, because Hannibal, I think, has several different tones that often work well in tandem with one another. So I, I will give it to Michael Pitt to balance out the scales so that Chilton does not get a clean sweep. <laughs> All right, uh the second one and this might be a little bit difficult because I talked about it with Kate before we started recording, but apart from this finale, is there another best episode that you would like to point to?
2: Um I'll go with um what was it? Whatever the one with the horse. <laughs> Shizakana or um I think it was something along those lines. Shizakana. Yes. It, it's that episode. That episode for me was by far and away prior to this episode was probably the episode that I just really responded to the most. Um, just the mirror, the bizarro Will and bizarro Hannibal setup that they, they provided. Um, and then just, is that your social worker and their horse? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing beats that almost. So I'm going to go with that episode, both for that one line, but also just that, the thematic richness of that episode was just really potent for me. But
1: the trouble that I have with this question, and it's something we, it's what we were talking about before we started recording is that I think of Hannibal in the large form of a season at a time and the short form of a moment. And so I have trouble distinguishing where, like where all the individual episodes are and where exactly everything falls. So the ones that, Come to mind are Suzakana, which is that eighth episode with Jeremy Davies and Demontopolis, Chris Topalis, and it, you know, introducing that introduces Margot too. Um, but also the uh, the the death air quotes or the the framing of Chilton it was also a very effective episode for me because you know the the journey of Jack over that episode, the journey of Chilton over that episode, and I mean, just just Hannibal in that suit waiting in Chilton's house. <laughs> Is delightful i mean there's there's a lot to to appreciate um yeah i mean there's there's we also get that that nice scene with uh will and um and alana with the i think with the dogs where she's at the house yeah. i think that's the episode where, where where he goes home so i guess i would say that one as well um there's yeah and then of course that ends with you know Will being all prettied up to go start his therapy again, and so there's there's a lot to appreciate in um, in that episode. So I guess I'll I'll go with that one. There's the, the but yeah, again, I remember moments and uh, like the full scheme of the season a lot better than I remember exactly where each episode kind of leaves off with each of these different plots.
0: And my pick would be following off of my answer for MVP last week's episode, which included the the Verger story for this season and you could do it just for the one-liner of I'm full of myself but so much of that was utterly disturbing and beautiful and that was so much fun to witness and very much dissimilar to a lot of the quiet that Hannibal often does at least in in the second half of that episode but man that that really worked for me and it was shocking and wonderful, and I really hope that Michael Pitt and Catherine Isabel show up next season at some point. So that would be that. My my third and final question for the bonus round is, is best murder tableau slash killer. And just as a reminder, I'll name off of I'll name off some. Um, there was the muralist and the mural. There was the orderly who put the judge's corpse into that balance situation. There was Amanda Plummer and her lobotomies. Uh, There was Hannibal's uh, tableau of Beverly's corpse. There was Hannibal and the FBI agents that he leaves in Chilton's house. There was Peter, his social worker, and the horse, or horses, rather. Uh, Randall and his hydraulic suit. Uh, Will Hannibal and the saber-tooth Randall mason of course without a lot of his face and that technically doesn't count as a murder but i'm throwing it in there anyway and then if we want to include the the hotel hannibal at the end of this we can so
2: Um, one thing i do want to note is that hannibal killed the judge but the orderly killed the bailiff
0: you're right correction so uh i guess the orderly one was a copycat then he didn't really have his own because he didn't kill Hannibal so strike him from the records.
1: it's tempting there there are so many wonderful in the worst possible way options here it's so tempting to go with the, the muralist because just seeing silos like that still gives me shudders right now uh, all these months later but I, I do for the most visually striking it's down to two it's down to the tree uh, but even more it's Beverly for me because that's just those slides it's so effective, so uh, creative, and so tied in specifically with her. Um, so I, I think that's what I have to to go with.
2: Stop stealing my answers, Kate. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mwah. No those are so, good ones. Yeah, <laughs> no, so
2: I, I'm going to agree with Beverly for those reasons. Um, I, I think my second place, though, since for differentiation, would go to the judge of that Hannibal setup. I think that was just so... It had that kind of grotesque whimsy that I think the show just kind of trailed away from a little bit, Um, even though we kind of got it again with the tree guy, but it just didn't feel as satirical almost to me in the larger system of Hannibal's point. So while, yes, he's polluting the environment and he's costing these birds their trees, at the same time, Hannibal ate an endangered songbird later, so it eh, balances out. So I'm going to go with The Judge as my second place, but Beverly for sure for the first.
0: Well, I refuse to let there be a clean sweep for any of these, so ah. I'm going to go with uh, The Horse for being, to me, the not the most elaborate staging, but the, the most, I guess, elaborate process of discovery, which is just unfortunate, I guess. Uh, but that that certainly works. And that was my final question. So I believe we will be wrapping up this incredibly long podcast.
2: No one's going to listen to all of this.
0: <laughs>
1: no. There's 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 a 0% chance uh, people are still listening. Uh, I do have to say one more thing because it came to mind that I meant to say it uh, earlier and I completely forgot. We've talked about pretty much all the actors on this show, but we haven't talked about Hugh Dancy. And he's really freaking good in this uh, to the point where I watched it the first time through and then I watched it the second time through and said, oh, my God, he's so over the top in that first scene. He's so clearly putting on a performance for Hannibal. How did I not see that? And it was because I felt like he was subtle. And then I saw his no later on and I realized what subtlety actually was for that character. Uh, It's a wonderful performance. Mass Mikkelsen's performance is is more notable or it's It's flashier. it's flashier. Which is weird to but... say,
2: considering how many, how much of it is grounded in small gestures, but it's just yeah. flashier.
1: But no, Hudancy is doing tremendous work here as well, so I, I wanted to mention that.
0: I, I will completely agree with that, and you're right. We, we don't give him enough credit, and I think on my part, that's just because I, maybe I take him for granted because he's so fantastic in this role. Both of them are just wonderful, um, so that's a good final points. Uh, Kate and I will not be back next week, but we will be back at some point during the summer. We have officially decided to go back to season one of Hannibal to do the podcasts for those episodes. Yay!
1: So if, we promise they won't be two hours later. Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. This had to be a special one. So uh, anybody who's having Hannibal withdrawals will be able to enjoy some more. This is our design at some point in the summer, and they have that to look forward to Uh, Once again, thank you, Noel Kirkpatrick, for coming back onto the podcast. It was a blast having you. Uh, Where can our listeners find you online?
2: Well, thank you for having me back, Sean and Kate. It was a lot of fun. And listeners can find me at tv.com. I don't know what I'm reviewing this summer. Um, Probably Defiance, if any of you watch Defiance, which is a show that I have lukewarm feelings about. But I'm reviewing it anyway. And um, I'm on Twitter at Noel, N-O-E-L-R-K, Noel R-K.
0: Uh, Defiance is actually a show that I will be reviewing and have lukewarm feelings about because it holds a special space for me because it was the first show that I started reviewing for Sound On Sight and I'm mainly reviewing it for that reason but uh, mm-hmm. that'll be fun so we can we can trade thoughts about that Excellent, I look forward to that Kate, where can our listeners find you online?
1: You can find me at Twitter I'm at the Televerse which is of course the Twi- also the name of the podcast that Sean and I co-host that covers the rest of tv <laughs> uh and that goes up every tuesday at sound on site so you can talk to me on twitter you can find the other podcasts that i do at sound on site i also review shows there right now i'm reviewing orphan black which had another fun episode tonight as we record hopefully everybody's watching that show as well it's underappreciated definitely um i also review veep over at the av club and i'm very excited to be reviewing another show uh there this summer but uh, though we're kind of keeping the lid on that for another couple of days but you can you know Follow that at the AV Club, or, or talk, you know, talk to me on Twitter to find out what's going on there. But mostly, you're going to just find me saying way too much about this, you know, about uh, Hannibal and classical music and all of that stuff on Twitter or, or over at soundonsite.org.
0: And as Kate mentions, uh, you can listen once again to us talk on the Televerse at Sound On Site. Otherwise, my written written reviews will appear either at TVOvermind.com or at sound on site and all the links to all that stuff, including some other material is on my blog. There is nothing on.com. Um, and that's it for this episode. I just wanted to conclude by thanking everybody for every thing that has made this possible. All the listeners for tuning in, for providing feedback. You've been wonderful. We hope that we've imparted something uh, of use onto you. Uh, to all of our guests, uh, Ricky D., editor-in-chief at Sound On Sight, from the AV Club, Les Chapel, Todd Vanderworth, Dennis Perkins, Zach Hanlon, uh, from Battleship Pretension, Aaron Pinkston, David Bax, Tyler Smith, uh, of course, Noel as well, which we've already mentioned, uh, Eric Goldman from IGN, uh, Libby Hill, not just from TV on the Internet, but who has also been publishing for NPR and who wrote a fantastic recent piece uh, about Hannibal that deals with the, that central relationship very thoroughly. So check that out. Uh, of course, Vincenzo Natalie for coming on last week. That was an absolute blast. And that was very gracious of him to agree to do that. And most your importantly, mom, don't feed your <laughs> mom. Yes. Thank you, mom. Actually, she was on the podcast. That's, I completely forgot about that. I mean, wow. I'm thinking
2: about your mom. <laughs> man.
0: Oh, man. Oh, if you hadn't have reminded me, that would have been bad. I'll, I'll just edit this out to, to make it sound. <laughs> no, like
2: no, it mom. needs to stay. Okay, 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 fine.
0: Uh, and, and most importantly, Kate, for agreeing to co-host, as you mentioned earlier, we didn't even know that this was going to happen. And Actually, I think on the Friday, I, I was like, meh you know, I don't know if I have the time. I don't really know anything about editing or doing this podcasting type of thing. And then I watched that first episode and I was like, yep, we, we got to do this some way, somehow. And then we did. And this has been such a wonderful experience. Um, and your contributions to the Kate's Classical Corner have been fantastic. It's It's really great to have like the perfect person to do this podcast with because that is such a huge aspect of Hannibal. And to have somebody who has expertise in that has been really, really fun. So thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you very much. I I seem to recall a very similar experience. I'm so busy with all these different... Oh, my God, that premiere was awesome. I got to talk about it. So (laughs) thank you for putting up with my rambling ways on all these different topics and letting me indulge uh, my, my classical music background, uh, hopefully to some positive effect, but it's been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to uh, continuing over the summer. So,
2: and I just want to say thanks for you guys for doing this. I'm speaking for the other listeners as well, because I listen every week that I'm not on as well, especially when I'm not on. And I just really enjoy it. You guys bring a lot of insight and lively discussion. And I know a lot of other people enjoy it as much as I do. So I really appreciate it. And I just have a question since Sean mentioned Perfect Partners. Which one of you is Hannibal and which one of you is Will? Oh, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Undo it. I'm out. (laughs) Drop the mic.
0: Well, I guess Hannibal's the musician, right? So. Oh
1: God! But that doesn't mean I'm awesome. So it's (laughs) insane. So I don't know. That's a good. That's a good thing to leave. uh, How about How about we we turn that over to the listeners? (laughs) Let us know who Who's who? who. Nice. (laughs)
0: Oh, thank you for that, Noel. And once more, thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. This has been the final episode of this season of This Is Our Design.
3: Came with fear for the things we do not escape. Take me to the forest, take me to the trees, take me anywhere as long as you take me. Take me to the ocean, take me to the sea, take me to the blue and Teach me of the forest, teach me of the trees, teach me anything as long as you teach me. Teach me of the ocean, teach me of the sea, teach me of the breathing and